Welcome to this special midweek edition of the Southcrest Live podcast featuring the teaching of Dr. David Wilson. If this is your first time to listen, be sure to connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. And thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy this message from our Wednesday night series. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We looked last week at uh, beginning in verse 17 and <clears throat> talking about the new man. And then he, he carries on about how we are new creations in Christ. And in verse 25, he says, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for the necessary edification, that it may, be, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. There was a missionary in India who was teaching a Bible story, a Bible lesson to a group of Hindu ladies. And halfway through the lesson, one of the ladies just got up and left. Well, he thought he may have offended her, but a short time later, she actually came back in and listened even more intently than, than before. And at the end of the, the Bible study, she, he asked her, why did you get up and leave? Uh, were, were you not interested? And she said, yes, I was interested. I was so interested and I was so impressed with what you had to say about Christ that I went outside and I asked your driver whether you really lived the way you talked. And when he said that you did, I hurried back in so that I wouldn't miss anything you had to say. The only reliable evidence of a person being saved isn't that they told you that they were many years ago at a certain time in their life, but the only reliable evidence is the life that is reflecting Jesus Christ every day, the change that has taken place. And, and if you've heard me say it once, you've heard me say it many times, that when you meet Jesus, you do not stay the same. He's working on you. He's changing you. He, he's, he's growing you. And so Paul states some things here. And when you see the word therefore, it's really a response to verses 17 to 24. Therefore, you didn't learn this in Christ. What you learned in Christ here, therefore, now, because you are a follower of Jesus, this is what you should be doing. He says, first of all, you're going to have a new credibility. You can be believed. Ever since the fall, lying has been a common characteristic of all mankind. Is there anybody in here who's never lied? 
I was hoping we'd catch a liar in the process. <laughs> but nobody raised their hand, did they? <laughs> it says laying aside, putting away. It has to do with stripping it off or casting it away, discarding it. And when a person becomes a believer, follows Jesus, they step out of the domain of Satan, who is the father of lies, into the realm and domain of truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. And we come to him. He said, the truth will set you free. And so we become people who tell the truth. We stand for something. We stand for the truth, but we, we speak truth. Our yes should be yes and our no should be no. Lots of stories about people lying. I, one of my favorites is about the man up in the hills who had four sons. And he, one evening he grabbed, he told them all four to come out there in the front yard. And this is in the hillbilly area. And he said, uh, I want to know which one of you boys pushed the outhouse over in the river. Nobody said a word. And so he said, I'm going to ask you again. I want to know which one of you boys pushed the outhouse in the river. Nobody said a word. And he said, now let me tell you something. You remember George Washington cut down that cherry tree. He stood up to his father and told him what he had done. It's better for you to tell me the truth. So one of those boys stepped forward and said, I did that. And he grabbed him and beat the thunder out of him with his belt. I mean, wore him out. And that boy's rubbing his backside and he's trying to stop crying. After he quits crying, he said, well, I, I wonder if George Washington's dad gave him a whipping after he confessed to cutting down that cherry tree. And he said, well, I know one thing. George Washington's dad wasn't sitting in that cherry tree when he cut it down. Another one of my favorites. I'm going to make you laugh a little bit. Duke University, there were two sophomores who were taking organic chemistry, and they did pretty well on all the quizzes and all the homework. In fact, going into the final, they had a solid A. Well, these two best friends were so confident going into the final that for the weekend, they decided to go up to the University of Virginia and party with some friends up there, which they did. They had a great time. However, they partied too much and overslept all day on Sunday, and the final was on Monday morning. Well, they got back Sunday evening late, and rather than taking the final, they decided to find their professor... And they went up to, the, and tell him, we went up to the University of Virginia for the weekend. We'd planned to come back in time to study. Unfortunately, we had a flat. And we didn't have a spare. And it took us a long time to get some help. And consequently, we were late. And we just wondered if we could have one more day before we take the final. The professor thought it over for a moment. He said, okay, I'll let you do that. You show up Tuesday morning. And so they studied that night, went into the next day. Professor told him to come in. He placed him in two separate rooms and gave him a test. The first question was something about uh, something simple like free radical formation. It was worth about five points and they were thinking this is going to be a great test. They turned the second page and it said for 95 points, which tire was it? 
You better learn to tell the truth. It's going to come back to you if you don't. Speak the truth with your neighbor. Telling the truth does not require telling everything you know. Now, there's got to be some tact with it. Sometimes we have to be truthful with our brothers and sisters in Christ, especially if they're headed down the wrong direction and we're trying to prevent them. But just because you are telling the truth does not mean that you have to offend everybody that you come into contact with. They may have on, in your opinion, the ugliest sweater you've ever seen, but you don't have to tell them that because that's your opinion. But I'm I'm just saying that but we ought to be known of being people of our word. If we say we're going to do something, do it. If you say you're going to pray for somebody, pray for them. If you say you're going to call them back, call them back. If you say you're going to do something, do it. He said, we are new people. Put away, strip off lying. And then he says, not only is there a new credibility, but There's a new control in your life. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Now, there's several words in the New Testament for anger. There's one that we'll talk about in a minute. It's it's a little bit later down here. It's it's when you just blow up. (laughs) You know, when you just get mad and you just blow up. And then there's another one that that is a little more deep-seated, and it just is always under the service, surface, and you people are just, they're just angry. It's, it's, it's a, a resentment that builds up. But this anger is not a turbulent, passionate outburst. This anger is an anger at evil. It's an anger that stands for righteousness. It, to, to be angry and not sin means that it, We should be angry for the right reasons. A counselor asked a camper at camp, what what is righteous indignation? (laughs) And these children thought for a moment, and one of them said, it means to get get real mad and not cuss. (laughs) It's the anger of the Lord's people who hate evil. We don't hate the people We hate the evil. It's the anger that abhors injustice or immorality or ungodliness. Anger that is sin is anger that is self-defensive and anger that strikes back and self-serving and is resentful. It ought to make us angry. Abortion ought to make us angry. Sex trafficking ought to make us angry. Child abuse ought to make us angry. Angry enough to do something about it, not to hurt somebody, but but we ought to we ought to just be angry with what Satan is getting by with. There's a righteous anger. That's what he's talking about. Now, anger that is sin is self-defensive and self-serving and uncontrolled. <laughs> One guy was trying to explain the difference between anger and exasperation. And so he said, let me demonstrate this for you. So he just picked up the telephone and he dialed a random number. And when the guy on the end of the line answered, the man who dialed the number said, "Um, may I speak to Ralph? Well, the guy on the other end said, well, you've got the wrong number. And they hung up. So he picked the phone back up and he said, 
he dialed that same number again. And he said, may I speak to Ralph? And the guy on the other end of the line got a little more irritated and said, I told you Ralph doesn't live here. And so he hung up the phone and then he said, now I'm going to show you what anger is. So he dialed the same number again. And when the guy answered the phone, he said, this is Ralph. May I speak to Ralph? And the guy got really mad. He said, I told you he does not live here. He slammed the phone down. And then the man said, now I'm going to show you what exasperation is. He dialed the same number again. The guy answered, hello. And he said, this is Ralph. Have I had any calls? I've had a few of those calls, haven't you? (laughs) Anger that is selfish and undisciplined and vindictive is sinful, but anger that is unselfish and based on love for God and concern for other people is not only permissible, but it's commanded. We're supposed to show genuine love and be concerned. We, We get angry about abortion and child abuse and domestic violence and sex trafficking, and we ought to be angry enough to do what we possibly can to prevent it. I I know one thing I can easily do, and I will never vote for somebody who is not pro-life. I'm not stopping abortion, all of it, but I'm not going to, I don't care how many times my grandparents may have voted that direction. I better stop right there. Even, (laughs) see, I'm going to get angry now. I get angry at some of the platforms. Righteous anger, though, can turn into bitterness and resentment and self-righteousness. And we're told to, to let it go. He said, don't let sun go down on your wrath. Even if, you know, we can get so upset at what's going on in our country that, that uh, we can't sleep at night or we, we, just, we just carry it with us all the time. And Paul's saying, look, Be angry at the right things, but do not become bitter and don't become one of those people that's just mad all the time. There's also a new compassion. Verse 28 says, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor working with his hands what is good that he may have something to give him who has need. Now, the word steal, klepto is the word, kleptomaniac is somebody who steals. It's done many ways. I mean, stealing is not just going into a store and shoplifting. There's all kinds of stealing stealing by cheating and all kinds of things. But he says the alternative to taking something that doesn't belong to you is to labor and one of the reasons, one of the reasons you labor is so that you can share with other people. Now, we got a group of people who, who are going to try to make us do that if they get elected. Here I am back on that again. <laughs> Folks, listen, our labor should be what is good. It says in verse 28, labor with your hands what is good. In other words, agathos, the word good, connotes that which is good in quality and God-honoring. Even the work that we do should not be something that harms people. It should be something that you wouldn't be afraid if Jesus went to work with you, him seeing what you do. To have work that is honorable, work that is 
it's not a vice of any kind. A Christian should never be involved in a job or a profession or a work or business that demands compromise of God's standards. That dishonors him or violates his holy commands. And working with his own hands stresses the truth that it's normal for every person to pull their load. Now, I know that there are circumstances where people can't work anymore, or maybe they're disabled or whatever. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about able bodied people who are just lazy. He said, Christians are not lazy. You don't just wait for somebody to hand it to you. You're supposed to be out there pulling your share, doing something that's honorable, doing something that will earn you the privilege to eat. Don't just expect it to be given. Our work should not only harm no one, it should be for a specific purpose of helping others when we can. Boy, it's hard to know sometimes what to do, isn't it? Because you don't have to look very far to see people who are in need. And there's a lot of factors that come into play. There just are. But we ask for the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Lord, show me who I'm supposed to help. And, and Lord, may it be a way. I'd rather give a hand up than a hand out. And if it can be possible to give a hand up, but some people... They just want to hand out. They don't want to hand up. And some, some are looking and trying. But there's a lot of them. And trust me, in the f- close to 50 years I've been in the ministry, I've met a bunch of them that really are just in it for the, um, well, they're just not wanting to work. Put it that way. Somebody put it this way. There's no exercise better for the heart than reaching down and lifting people up. Even when, we, even when we leave a tip at the restaurants. You know, you're, you're, you're giving a testimony even there. There's also a new conversation. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what is, for good, what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. Now, I want to tell you, if there was ever a word, I mean, ever a verse that all of us need to memorize, it's that one. The word corrupt, it refers to that which is foul or rotten, like rotten food or rotten vegetables or other spoiled food. You know, food can smell so good for a while. And then when you... You put it in the, tr- in the waste basket and you don't realize it. And after a couple of days, you open it or you go to that waste basket and open that lid and you go, oh man, that's this word right here. It's, it's that word that foul language, foul, unwholesome, rotten. Did you know that's really not supposed to be part of our vocabulary? Unwholesome language should be as repulsive as a rotten apple or a spoiled piece of meat. Profanity and vulgarity should never cross our lips. <laughs> One girl borrowed the family car for a date and wrecked it. 
And her boyfriend asked her, what did your father say about your accident? She said, do you want me to leave out the bad words? He said, yeah, he didn't say anything. <laughs> that should not be us. One, one pastor was making a wooden trellis to support a climbing vine in his backyard. And he was pounding away and he noticed a little boy was watching him and the youngster didn't say a word. So the preacher kept working, thinking the lad would leave, but he didn't. So then he was pleased at the thought that the boy might be admiring his work and wanting to be learning how to do some of this carpentry work. And he said, son, are you trying to pick up a few pointers on gardening? He said, no, sir. I'm just waiting to hear what a preacher says when he hits his thumb with a hammer. I had somebody tell me there's a precedent, a biblical precedent for cursing. I said, what are you talking about? He said, yeah, the Bible says Job cursed the day he was born. That's a little out of context, isn't it? And, you know, and we're always trying to teach our children not to say words. One, when his daughter stumped her toe and said, darn, her, her father, who was a pastor, said, look, sweetie, if you'll never say that word again, I'll give you a dime. A few days later, she came back and said, Dad, I got a word that's worth a half dollar now. <laughs> Unwholesome language. It shouldn't be part of us. But it is, isn't it? That old nature sometimes shows its head. Jesus said that the tongue speaks what's in the heart. The mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart, Jesus said in Matthew 12, 34. A foul mouth comes from a foul heart, and the only way for the Lord to cleanse our tongue is through his word, which fills the heart. With Philippians, it says, whatever is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and of good report. You ever heard the old term, what's down in the well comes up in the bucket? And I remember back in the CB days, Y'all are the only ones in here who know what CB radios are. I'm, I don't know if the truckers still have them, but when I was in college, we had CB radio because we wanted to know where all the bears were. And they weren't real bears. But somebody would get on that thing and start talking and it'd jam the line and they called him a bucket mouth. Well, what's down in the well comes up in the bucket. And... It's, he says, don't, don't let that stuff come out anymore. You can do it. I know anybody could do it. I promise you they can't. Have you ever noticed how guys can control, and I'm, I'm speaking to guys, but they can control their speech when they're in church and then they're around the preacher or whatever. But then they get out of there and it's blankety blank this, blankety blank that. You can't tell me you can't control it. But, but look what else he says. But what you, what you do say, it ought to be good for necessary edification. It should be building up and being helpful and constructive and encouraging and, and uplifting. Sometimes it has to be correcting necessary, he says, sometimes. But, but even then, it's done with love and with tact and with the other person's value in mind it and then it says that it may give impart grace to the hearers boy if there was ever a place that needed grace it's when we're talking to other people mature a mature christian 
not only speaks the truth in love, but, but knows when not to say something. We have to give each other a lot of grace. We need to do it when we speak. We do, don't we? I'm trying to decide if I want to say this or not. (laughs) I'm one of those people that um, has struggled most of my adult life, or at least the latter part of my adult life, with size. I sit all day or I sit a lot. You folks bring food to me. Give me food. It's not your fault that I eat it. But it hadn't happened in a long time because I think I finally put the fear of God in somebody. But, but do you, for those of you who are like me and you are skinny challenged, how's that for a word? And somebody walks up to you and says, you're putting on a little weight, aren't you? And I want to go, do you not think I know that? (laughs) You know what I really want to say? This is Wednesday night. I'm going to say, you know what I really want to say? Well, you're ugly and I can go on a diet. (laughs) That's what I really want to say. (laughs) But I impart grace to them because I really want to say it to them. I'm using that as a silly example, but, but at the same time, There are some things that we just ought not say to one another. Because you may be joking about it, but I want to tell you, it, it cuts to the core. And so I, when, when he says, when you're, around, when you're around believers, Christians aren't that way. They don't make other they don't put other people down, and they don't make you feel that way. They, they impart edification. Why is it so hard for us to speak kindly and and um, encouraging words, it's so much easier to be critical. But that's not, God, dispo, uh, God gives us grace and we're supposed to do the same thing for people. And you, know, you want a powerful motivation? Look at verse 30. It says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. We have the Holy Spirit in us. He's God, the third person of the Godhead. God lives in us, and when we are this way, when we rebel, whatever it might be, we grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, that word grieve is the strongest word for grieve in the New Testament. It's the same word used when a parent loses a child in death, that kind of grief grieves the Holy Spirit of God. God grieves when a, parent, when a child of his rebels. Now, there is a, a good, he said, be careful what you say to one another. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit. Now, did you notice that you've been given the Holy Spirit? You were sealed for the day of redemption. When you accepted Jesus, he sealed you. Put his spirit in you. He sealed you for the, till the day of redemption. When's the day of redemption? We don't know. It's going to be with him we die or the Lord returns. 
But one thing's for sure, we're sealed. Don't have to worry about that day. Holy Spirit lives in us. One of the evidences of the Holy Spirit living in us is that we put away lying, that we don't spew anger and we don't use corrupt words. And I mean, all of us, obviously, all of us are going to slip from time to time. We don't plan on it, but it happens. I don't, I don't look like I'm filled with the Spirit a lot of times when Lubbock drivers are around me. <laughs> I'm getting better. God's still working on me. <laughs> and I'm not the only one I know. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is God's personal mark of authenticity. He, he lives in us. Why else would we like each other in this room? I mean, we're all different. But we gather together because of the Holy Spirit that lives in us. We also have a new character. Look at verse 31. Now, the final, the final changes that Paul mentions amounts to a summary of the other things. Man's natural tendencies to sin and the natural tendency to sin is to grow into greater sin. And, and he, he really shows that here because if you have bitterness, wrath, and anger, eventually it's going to result in clamor and evil speaking. It's going to grow. Bitterness here. Now, this is that word for a smoldering resentment, a, a grudge-filled attitude. It's the spirit of irritability that keeps a person in perpetual animosity. It makes him sour, makes him venomous. When you, say, when you say, well, that person's got anger issues, it's probably bitterness of some kind. Something that happened a long time ago, whatever it might be, it, it's there. And it doesn't take long for people to see it. You know, you know anybody like that? I, I read something today that was quoted by Albert Einstein. He said, don't be around negative people because they always have a problem for every solution. Well, this person, bitterness, there's no place for bitterness in a believer's life. A woman went into a sporting goods store to buy a rifle. She said, it's for my husband. And the clerk said, well, did he tell you what gauge to get? And she said, are you kidding? He doesn't know I'm going to shoot him yet. It's that kind of resentment. I'm, I'm going to get even. I'm going to do that. And if you could get by with it and not get caught, you would do it. The word wrath. Now, here's your thumos. Thumos moment has to do with rage and the passion of the moment. You just explode or you get mad. Somebody says something wrong and you, you have a thumos moment. Wrath. Anger is the word orge, which is more internal smoldering. It's a subtle and deep feeling. But then what does that kind of stuff result in? He said, wrath, anger, and clamor, excuse me, bitterness, wrath, and anger. And then clamor is the outcry of strife and reflection, a public outburst. I mean, you may keep it to yourself, but all of a sudden, you just lose it. 
in public. And when somebody loses it in public, they've already got some issues down deep. That's what he's talking about. And if you would deal with the other, then probably no matter how angry you got in a public gathering, you would not just burst out. And then the word slander, obviously, evil speaking, put away from you. The word is blasphemia, blasphemia. (laughs) It's the defamation of somebody that comes from a bitter heart. So when we get mad and we let it build and we let it build and we let it build and then we explode and then we usually say things that we regret. Mighty quiet in here. We've all been there, haven't we? But that's why Paul said, look, now that you have the Holy Spirit in you, you can put this away. It doesn't mean that you won't ever be angry. But there's no place for there to be slander and malice. The word malice is the general term for evil. All of these got to be put away. And that word, let, let everyone put this away, it's an aorist tense. It means at a point in time when you come to Christ, he puts his spirit in you. You can put this away. And then verse 32, be kind to one another. Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another. Why? Because God in Christ forgave you. Forgiveness is a choice. Did you know that's not a feeling? And and you can't forgive somebody without it costing you something. You need to remember that. You never get repaid for the offense that's been done to you. You just bear it and pay for it. And it's a choice. God chose to forgive us. We can't pay back our debt. I can't undo everything I've ever done against him. And he's saying, as God has forgiven you in Jesus, you now have the capacity, because God lives in you, you have the capacity to forgive, to pay the price, to lift. The word forgive means to lift up and bear away. We're going to see in Colossians eventually where Jesus wiped out the handwriting of ordinances against us. And in those days, if you were put into prison, they put on the door what you had done and the price that you had to pay, and they had a list of it. People could see it. And if somebody paid the price for you or you served your time, they would take that and give it to you, and across it would be written, it is finished. Now, that reminds you of something else that Jesus said? Well, he wiped out. The handwriting of ordinances against us, he gave us the receipt. And I have to picture when I forgive somebody, I have to think, you know what, they've offended me. Here's what they've done. I, they can't repay it, but I can forgive it. And then I'm going to give them the receipt. In my mind, I've given them the receipt so that the next time I see them, I say, oh yeah, I've already forgiven them of that one. And when Peter said... Lord, how many times have I got to forgive my brother? Up to, 
up to seven times? And Jesus said, no. How about 70 times seven? And I'm sure his mouth dropped open. He said, if you really forgive somebody, you don't bring it up anymore. It doesn't always mean that the relationship is restored to where it was, but there's no animosity, there's no bitterness, there's no anger anymore. Now, I want to tell you something. I know what it's like to be there because I've done that. And I've been bitter. And it's no fun. All it does is ruin your life. It ruins your life and ruins your relationships. It's not worth it. And you say, well, you don't know what this person did to me. Well, I don't, but you don't have any idea what all you've done to God. And are you going to stand before God one day and say, well, Lord, I know I did all of this stuff, but he did this one thing or she did this one thing to me. Tenderhearted has the idea of being compassionate and reflects a feeling of pain due to the empathy for someone's needs. To forgive one another. <laughs> At the end of the Civil War, the Union troops still spent some time occupying the city of Richmond, Virginia. And one day, an elderly southern matron walking down the streets of Richmond slipped on a step and fell. And a Union soldier picked up this southern bell to help her up. And when he, she had been restored to her feet, she glanced at the young gentleman and said rather acidly, how very kind of you, young man. If there's a cool spot in hell, I hope you get it. Now, that's not forgiveness. And that's not, that is bitterness and that's resentment. He says, just as God in Christ forgave you. How can you do it? Because you are a new creation in Christ. You can. You can. It's just a matter of being obedient. And I've met a lot of people in my day that just can't let go. A marriage won't work if you don't have forgiveness. Just ask Laura. She's had to forgive me so many times. <laughs> but, but really, it, a church can't make it if you don't have forgiveness. And I'm so thankful that we have the capacity here to love one another, even though we have a lot of differences. We can, we can love each other. We can encourage one another. We can cry with each other. We can laugh with each other. But we have to bestow a lot of grace toward one another too, don't we? Somebody, somebody one day is going to test your grace. Just be, in, be sure and bestow it upon them. Well, thank you for being here tonight. Let me lead us in prayer and then we'll be dismissed. Lord, help us to live like your children. We are still works in progress. We know that. But thank you for what you've already taught us and how far you've, you've already brought us. And we just pray that you'll continue to help us be people who will bestow grace with our speech and bestow um, compassion and, and not hold bitterness to forgive 
and to edify and to build up. Lord, please watch our mouths. Help us. Grab hold of our tongues and shut us up when we need to shut up. Help us to be people who don't spew forth unwholesome speech. And so, Lord, we know that that all comes from the heart, and you can change our hearts. So search our hearts now. Show us the sin in our life. We'll confess it to you and walk in peace with you. Thank you for your word. It's convicting. It's, it's the truth. We know it. It's convicting. But, Lord, we help us to be people now who live that out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come expecting God to work Sunday. We'll see you then if I don't see you before. Thank you for being here. Thanks for listening to this installment of the Southcrest Wednesday Night Series featuring Senior Pastor David Wilson. Remember, you can also live stream our Sunday and Wednesday services. Go to southcrestlive.tv for more details or to southcrest.org to learn more about Southcrest Baptist Church. And thanks for listening.